Hey guys, I just want to tell you a little bit about our Podcasts app which is now live on the App Store. It's the world's first audio-driven app for experiencing medicine. Every week you can step into the shoes of doctors with an engaging case and quiz. Download now and have a look for yourself. Let's get back to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've all been keeping well. This week we've got someone really special. We have with us Dr. Perkins, Dr. Tommy Perkins, who's a fully qualified GP working in the south of the country and even more interestingly, is one of the co-founder of Medics Money. He is a savior to many medics like myself in terms of helping us plan financially for the future. They've got an amazing platform used by thousands of doctors across the country. And I'm not gonna spoil it all. I'll let him introduce himself and we can start talking about Medics Money, how it started, and we'll take it from there. A massive pleasure to have you um, with us today, Tommy. How are you? I'm good. Um, that's a massive introduction. I hope that I can live up to the hype. But yeah, um, <laughs> great to great to join you guys. I've uh, been listening to your podcast a lot. Love what you guys are doing. Um, and yeah, uh, happy to talk about um, whatever you guys want to chat about. Before we start talking about all things money, which I know is a is a nemesis for medics, tell us a bit about your story of when you decided, do you know what, I want to be a doctor, I want to go to med school and kind of bring us up to present day? Yeah, um, I took a really convoluted and unusual route to being a doctor. <laughs> uh, so um, I just went to a normal school, uh, didn't know any doctors when I was growing up. None of our friends were doctors. We were just a normal working class family. Uh, but I really liked science when I was at school as a science geek, basically. And so even though no one in my family had ever been to university before, uh, when I finished mm-hmm. uh, school, I went on to uh, university. I went to UCL in London, which, as you know, as you guys know, former King's students, UCL yeah, is yeah. the best university. UCL yeah. is the best university yeah. in London, uh, for sure. Enemy. Well, we're sitting <laughs> with the enemy now. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? Podcast over now, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I went to UCL, uh, the best university in London, and I did uh, molecular biology there. And I really loved it. Um, in my final year, I did a sort of um, like a big project in the lab, uh, researching something called primary hyperoxyurea, uh, which basically mm-hmm. gives you kidney stones. And I kind of got interested. I never even thought about being a doctor. I kind of got interested in uh, the sort of practical applications of the science, but I never really knew what I wanted to do. And I mean, the way that I got interested in medicine is really random. Um, I was trying to get a date with this girl for most of university and mm-hmm. finally she agreed to go on a date so I was like great and then last minute she cancelled say oh I'm going to a talk about becoming a doctor I was like oh don't worry I'll come along to the talk <laughs> yeah, basically I failed to take the hint from her um, yeah. <laughs> and it was a talk about becoming a doctor um, and there was this new course which you could do it was a four-year graduate course so you could be a doctor in four years I thought mm. oh that sounds really cool uh, but didn't really think anything of it and uh, obviously crashed and burned on the date uh, and that was the end of that and then uh, I finished university at UCL and at UCL we had something called the milk round where big finance companies come and Mm. they basically say you know if you're predicted a first class or you're going to get a first then they're kind of interested so I kind of got into that kind of thing but then I realized that it wasn't what I was going to do so I left Mm. UCL with a first class in molecular biology 
awesome. and proceeded to head straight to Spain to do a season as a rep, basically, uh, <laughs> which was, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> Uh, it was one of the best jobs. I think it was the best job I've ever had. So I did that for a bit. And then I was just still thinking about this medicine thing. And while I was working there, a couple of the people working there, one of them was a doctor. Uh, hmm. And one of them was going to med school. And I was just talking to them about it and thought about it more, did some research. And then the application time came around for the graduate entry program. And at that, <clears throat> at that time, you either had to do the GAMSAT, which was this exam, or have a first class degree. So obviously I had the first class degree from the greatest university in the world, UCL. Um, and UCL so, love yeah, you right um, now. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start a war with UCL and Kings. No, you know, Kings is also great. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I got into it, basically. And then I went through the graduate program at Birmingham, which is, uh, you know, a great place to, to go. And I did F1 and F2. At the end of F2, um, everybody was going into training and everyone was like, what are you going to do next year? I'm going to be a brain surgeon. I'm going to be a you know physician or whatever. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to take a year out. So I went to Hawaii and went and windsurfed and surfed the biggest waves in the world. Mm. And then we went on to Australia. And then I ended up working in New Zealand for seven months in Christchurch doing A&E, which I really loved. Um, and that, while I was out there, I sort of thought, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, really. So I applied for anesthetics training and got in. I did a year and a half of anesthetics, but it just wasn't for me, to be honest, for various reasons. Uh, and so then I quit anesthetics training and applied to be a GP. And now I've been a fully qualified GP for four years. I started off as a locum GP, and now I've just become a partner about one year ago. Oh, oh. congratulations. Oh. Congratulations. Awesome. That was a whirlwind of a background to present day. What I love about it, and I think similar to me, is you took your time with it, didn't rush, you know, kind of enjoyed yourself and kind of got to a point where I think you probably do love what you're doing. Um, but it kind of makes me think, do you feel you made those decisions to kind of take the time out, enjoy yourself because you are a graduate medic rather than someone who just kind of did well in GCSEs, smashed the A-levels and got straight into as an undergrad? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, actually. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure in medicine in general to just sort of race through things, F1, F2, CT1, CT2, you know, get to be a consultant. Um, mm. And I definitely was never really like that. I just wanted to enjoy the journey um, and make sure that I was enjoying what I do. I think one of the worst you know, parts about my character is if I don't enjoy something, I just don't want to do it and I will probably stop doing it. And um, probably like GCSE German was a great example of that. I got like really good grades in everything else, but I hated GCSE German. I don't really speak yeah. German and I got a, I got a C. Uh, so, you know, I think if I don't like doing something, I generally not afraid to, you know, if, if I don't like where the herd is going, I don't tend to follow the herd. Um, okay. And I think, you know, I would encourage anyone listening to this who's thinking about doing an F3. I mean, I did an F3 and an F4. And at that time, they were sort of saying, oh, if you do that, your career's over. Mm -hmm. And when I sat in my anesthetics mm -hmm. interview, it's really competitive anesthetics. And I was thinking, right, don't mention Hawaii, don't mention Hawaii. <laughs> sat down, they were like, they were sat down and they were like, you look really tanned. Where have you been? I mean, oh, I've, been to I've been to Hawaii, windsurfing and surfing, the biggest place in the world. And one of the people on the interview was into big wave surfing. So we spent oh, wow. about 10 minutes talking about surfing and the other people are there like sort of, you know twiddling their thumbs and i was just thinking no we're talking about surfing this is not going well um but <laughs> yeah. obviously it went it went okay so 
Yeah, and does a graduate make you more likely to do that? Um, maybe, um, but uh, yeah, I think my main sort of thing has been to just try to enjoy what you're doing and, mm. and your medicine um, and don't feel pressured to follow the herd or, or rush through things. And, and definitely, you know, taking my time to become a GP has definitely made me a better GP because I've experienced more of life and more yeah. things. And mm. then kind of you're more comfortable in your own skin, if that makes sense. No, definitely. And it's reassuring to hear that. Um, and kind of moving on to what I want to touch on in probably a fair bit of depth today is you've done all these amazing things. You've surfed some of the biggest waves in the world, saved lives. And then you co-founded this platform called Medics Money, dealing with tax, dealing with money, which is what I find very boring, very difficult. Can't get my head around it. How did that all come about? How does a surfer turn into an advisor? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, so I think Medics Money really started about, you know, the, the, it started about 12 years ago. When I left med, med school, uh, like I said, I just came from a normal working class family, normal school. Um, and so I racked up a tremendous debt. Uh, I was looking at the numbers mm. the other day and it was around 85,000 pounds of debt, which wow. probably wow. now isn't actually that much. But back then, nobody had that amount of debt. I had a student loan. Um, at UCL, they did like hardship loans for people that, um, you know, it was all means tested. So, yeah, I was 85 grand down and all that time at med school and university, um, nobody taught, taught me about money. You know, a few people came mm. to try and sell me, you know, life insurance and things like that. But they didn't tell me, you know, what I actually needed to do. And over the sort of next 12 years, I had to pay down that debt and get my finances in order and get into the position that I'm in now, which is you know, comfortable, um, able to work only three days a week as a doctor and do other things that interest me in the other time. Um, yeah. And so what happened was I got kind of good at managing my money and I was just doing it for myself. And I think what actually happened is I got a massive tax rebate. We'll talk about this in a bit maybe, but I got sort of like a two grand tax rebate for um, the money that I'd spent on doing my exams and everyone was like oh how do you do that you've got to show me so I was like oh this is how I did it you know and uh, before mm. I knew it I was helping out loads and loads of people you know mates of mates of mm. mates and it was just getting too much really uh, and I never really wanted to do that you know I love being a doctor I still work as a doctor um, but at the same sort of time um, I was renovating a house doing loads of locum shifts in A&E and I met mm -hmm. this guy called Ed and Ed is a bit unusual as well because he is a doctor like me but before doing medicine, he worked as a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor at PwC in London, actually oh, wow. just uh, down the road from King's actually. Um, yeah. So he did that for nine years and then became a doctor. And we got talking and sort of saying that nobody's taught us about how to do the basics and doctors really struggle to manage their money and they don't know where to get good advice and they don't know the basics. Somebody should sort of teach them and we were like yeah somebody should definitely teach them and we kind of <laughs> kept saying that for quite some time until eventually we realized that we were going to have to do it so nearly two years ago now we started medics money and medics money is uh, as you said a platform for doctors to we say make empower doctors to make better financial decisions and what that means in in real terms is we do two things one we give you the financial cpd that med school didn't so we teach you about everything right from the basics of how to sort out your tax code what your pay slip should look like 
right up to really complicated, you know, if you're a consultant and you've got pension problems and things like that, mm -hmm. investments. Uh, so from F1 to consultants uh, and GPs and beyond. So that's one thing we do. We teach you what, what med school didn't about money. And the second thing we noticed was that doctors didn't really know where to get good advice, like where to find a good financial advisor, where to find a good accountant. And what we also noticed is that non-specialist advisors were more likely to give our colleagues incorrect advice. And obviously with Ed's unique skills as not only a doctor, but a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor, we knew lots of good accountants and financial advisors. And so what we've done is we've grouped together uh, the very best financial advisors, uh, specialist medical accountants and specialist mortgage advisors that specialize in doctors, put them on the platform and doctors can go on there, search for their criteria and we link you to uh, the best match for you. No, that sounds amazing. And if you were to flick through your website, you also have a podcast. Tell us a bit more about the podcast. What are some of the topics you cover and discuss for people that may be interested um, in financial planning? Yeah, so um, the podcast kind of evolved. The whole thing's kind of evolved from what doctors tell us they wanted. Uh, so for ages, we had a blog and the blog's, I think, really good um, and got lots of information on there. But doctors are busy people and people kept saying to us, look, do a podcast, do a podcast. And me and Ed are <laughs> not naturally um, outgoing. You know, we're kind of, we weren't sure about broadcasting to thousands of people and stuff. But eventually we started one. So we've done 20 episodes now um, and it's going really well. We just hit 20,000 users uh, or downloads, should I say. Well, and congratulations. We yeah, yeah, thanks. I mean, it's just grown by word of mouth. So um, really what we need to say is thanks to anybody who's shared it, you know, and, and helped us out like mm. um, to grow it. Um, and we cover, as I say, everything from everything that an F1 needs to know right up to the most complicated pension stuff that only affects consultants and, and senior GPs. So it's something for everybody on there, basically. So um, yeah, have a, have a look at that. It's uh, originally titled the Medics Money Podcast, and maybe you guys can drop a link into it or something. We'll definitely show the links. So now we have you, you know, we want to kind of learn from your wisdom. A lot of our listeners are junior doctors, kind of middle grade, a lot of medical students. From your experience, what are some of the biggest pitfalls they have in terms of finances, savings, and some practical advice on how to kind of, I don't know, go about it better um, from your experience and having dealt with it on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, um, big question. So I'll start with some overarching concepts and then get into the specifics. Um, yeah. We have got an e-book, e uh, which is totally free. Uh, to download. Uh, it's called What Medical School Didn't Teach Us About Money. And if you're interested in that kind of thing, um, I would definitely download it um, because it's really useful. But I think in general, uh, the reason why medics struggle with to manage their money is not because we're not smart, because, you know, we are clever. But the problem is that no one's ever sat us down and taught, told us what we need to need to know. You know, like I said, at med school, we, I received no financial education. Some people came to try and sell me some stuff, which I almost certainly didn't need. But they weren't really interested in educating me. They just wanted to sell me something so that they could take commission. And so mm -hmm. I think if you're listening to this now as a junior doctor, just take a little bit of time. You know, you do loads and loads of uh, medical education, but just prioritize a little bit of time to do some financial CPD. And the ebook mm. is a great place to start. Um, 
So because you can learn it, it's not difficult, you're very smart, but if you don't take the time to learn it, uh, you won't ever get there. And I know what it's like being a doctor. There's always, you know, work is super busy, especially right now, and there's exams to advise for. There's always something more interesting to do than manage your finances. But if you can make good financial decisions, you know, over your whole career, it is going to save you and make you a tremendous amount of money. Um, so that would be my starting point. In terms of if I was a med student or a junior doctor right now, um, we actually have a 10, a t 10 top tips podcast on this. But briefly, what I would say is get your paperwork in order. So your pay slips, um, your P60, which is an end of year certificate, and there's a pensions statement, which is called your total reward statement. Just get those every single year and keep a record of it, especially the pensions. So you go to total reward statements, it's free, and it's just a summary of what the NHS thinks your pension is. It might seem like retirement is a long way off, but trust me, those three bits of paper, your March payslip, your P60, and your total reward statement each year are absolutely essential to keep those records because uh, often the records are incorrect and you will really rely on them in, in the future. So that would be the first thing. The second thing um, I would say is, like me, you've probably got loads of student debt and you need to start to deal with that debt fairly quickly. Um, and a way to do that is to use a concept called pay yourself first. And it's pretty simple, really. Um, you essentially would, fire, if your wage is going to one account, you would take out, uh, once you paid your bills, you would take out a percentage of your wages and put that in another account automatically, stand in order, so every single month you pay yourself first, that goes into a separate account and you can either use that to pay down your debt if you've got it, or once you pay down the debt, use it to invest. And then what's mm. left uh, is what you spend. So don't mm. save what's left, okay? Spend after you've done pay yourself first. Because I think a lot of doctors end up living paycheck to paycheck, sort of saving what's left at the end of the month. And if you don't pay yourself first, what's left at the end of the month is probably nothing. Um, the third thing I'll do is get at what's called an HMRC personal tax account. Um, it's free and it's a great way to sort out your tax codes. And I don't know about you guys, but every time I moved trust as a junior doctor, my tax code went totally awry. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that you end up paying like an extra 600 pounds a month of tax and you phone up the people and they're really casual about it. Um, and I wonder if they would be as casual about it if they were losing 600 pounds a month <laughs> to be on the wrong tax code. But the great thing is now uh, you don't need to phone them up. You can sort it online. We've got a blog, which Ed wrote, and it just takes you through it step by step. So it's not glamorous. It's pretty boring, mm. but it'll save you a lot of money. Um, what are the major pitfalls by which doctors lose a lot of money when say we shouldn't have been deducted that amount. Um, I, I have met a lot of colleagues and they've said, well, hold on a minute. We do the same ex exact job. We've got a pretty similar student loan debt, but I've gotten 500 pounds less than you. What are some of the major pitfalls and holes? I mean, it's hard to um, be, be specific, but in general, mm -hmm. As there's a couple of things which probably uh, account for that. One is your tax code. So your, <clears throat> your tax code is basically a set of numbers and letters which tells uh, the government how much tax to take off you. But if you mm. have two jobs, or they, they think you've got two jobs, say like when you move um, rotation job to job, the tax code goes awry and they can start taxing you the wrong amount. So that, mm. you know, tax codes being incorrect is a major source of why one person's payslip will be different to another's even when you're both doing the same job. 
and it's incredibly frustrating um but there is a way to fix it online for free and we've got a super nice online guide to sort that out so i think that's one major way that things go wrong the other way is that um, you can claim tax back on things like your GMC fees and your BMA fees if you're a member and your Royal College fees. And when you get into doing exams, exams are expensive. The GP exams are like 1600 quid. It's a tremendous amount of money, wow. but you can claim up to 40% of that. You can claim it back. But if you don't make the claim, no one's going to give it to you. They'll just, they just carry on. Um, and back, back in the past, you know, claiming was difficult and there was loads of conflicting advice out there. And that's yeah. why we built our now legendary uh, tax rebate guide. Um, and you just download the guide and it just ta talks you through it step by step. And the average GP trainee uh, going from F1 to being a GP was saved £2,345 using that guide. Oh, wow. If you're going into going surgery, well, you're going into surgery or something else, you'll save a lot more. So that's two reasons why um, two people, two doctors on the same job might have very different uh, levels of pay. Mm -hmm. Another issue that I've noticed, especially once we did start kind of foundation training and have never ever thought about it was opting in to the NHS pension or opting out. A lot of people were like, yeah, we're young. We don't need to put any money into this. By the time... I'm retired, I'm going to have a fully-fledged business, I'm going to have loads of kids that are going to pay me a monthly allowance. But other people were very scared and like, do you know what, we need to put a, sh a shit ton of money into this pension. What is a safe way of going about it? Because I'll be honest, I've probably opted out, but we just want to know from someone that is a bit of more expert than us, what's the best way to go about that? Yeah. So there's been a lot of publicity about the pension recently with... Uh, more senior doctors getting very massive tax bills as a result of yeah. some really, puni really punitive pensions tax legislation. Uh, and I'm not a financial advisor and I, I cannot give you specific financial advice on this. But what I would say mm. is that the NHS pension is still an amazing deal. I, I am definitely still in the NHS pension. It's a fantastic mm. deal. And uh, what I would say as well is that every time I ask one of our expert financial advisors to come on our podcast, I usually end up by asking them, they will have a private pension, okay, or maybe they've got property investment or whatever. I ask them, you want to swap your private pension or property investments for my NHS pensions, okay, and they always want to swap. They would love to have the mm. NHS pension. So the NHS pension does have its problems and there's a, you know, it's not as good as it was. Uh, certainly when I started, it's you know, it's got progressively worse, but for the vast majority of doctors, the NHS pension is still a fantastic deal. And if you are thinking about opting out, I urge you to not listen to advice of your mates or anything like that. Just get good financial advice because as I say, for the vast majority of people, the NHS pension is a great deal. And um, yeah, I, I'm still in it. I intend to be in it for as long as possible, but there are a few things that you need to know. One major thing that I have a problem with the NHS pension, apart from the tax and everything that we just mentioned, is that my retirement age when I first started medicine was <laughs> 65. Now mm. it's pushed out to 68, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's linked to state retirement age. I do not want to be a doctor until I'm 68 or older, okay? <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, I'm just saying that right now. Um, and so if that is you, uh, you've got loads of time to make a backup plan. And the backup plan mm. can be anything. You know, you can invest. If you start investing now when you're a junior doctor, 
you'll be in a great position um, by, your, by the time you're approaching that age. And it may seem like a long way off now, but it's, believe me, it's coming around fast. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, I think, you know, the NHS pension is still a great deal for junior doctors. Um, and I would think long and hard about leaving it. I do not anticipate mm. ever leaving the NHS pension. Mm. And yes, it's got its problems that you need to be aware of. And we've got podcasts and blogs and everything on that. But in general, it's a great, a great deal, still a great deal. And like I said, most financial, or all financial advisors I've ever spoken to, they, they would love to join it. Um, I don't know if you'd be able to answer this one question that I have, but it's, it's something that's been floating around with different people who've been debating um, the NHS pension scheme. Um, say you're in a position where you need as much money as you, you can at a current moment. Um, does it make sense to opt out of the NHS pension scheme to opt back in when your salary is significantly higher? Say you're an F1 currently, you need all the money you can get um, and you, you're planning to opt out until say you're a sort of middle grade where your salary is significantly more um, and the contribution would be more. Do you, would you advise that? Do you think that's a, a, a good uh, sort of... Um, decision to make to opt out and opt in later when your salary's higher so first of all i totally get where you're coming from like i said when i started i was 85 grand down okay so mm. i totally understand that when that pension deduction appears on your payslip and you look at the amount you just <laughs> got to be thinking right i could use that cash to pay down debt or do something else with okay but again I'm not a financial advisor. I cannot give you specific advice, but I would, if I was a junior doctor, um, even if I, I mean, what the, I was 85 grand down, there is no way I would be opting out of the NHS pension. Mm. And you've got to remember, okay, you contribute something to your NHS pension, but your employer also contributes as well. So if you opt yeah. out, you're essentially get your foregoing that employer's contribution. Okay. You, you can't get it back or very rarely can you get it back. Um, and, you know, one of the principles of investing is, you know, compound interest, which is essentially yeah. the way that money compounds over time. You know, I think I totally understand doctors, F1 doctors today who got the cash flow issues, but I would think long and hard about opting out of the pension. No, definitely. And you mentioned earlier in terms of you can always have a backup option, you know, a plan B, C. A lot of the thing that has been proven popular is the whole thing of investing, um, you know, kind of buying stocks and shares. What advice can you give to us as juniors or even medical students on getting involved in that? Um, is it something that you encourage? Is it something that we should be actively trying to learn about? Or do we just stay a hand span away from it and, you know, don't go near it? Yeah. Um, if you get investing right, you know, investing done right, uh, it is going to provide you an amazing backup plan. Um, and you can make, a, you know, you can do really well with investing. So I, and at Medics Money, we are very, very in favor of investing. Uh, mm. And you mentioned stocks and shares. That's one thing that you can do. Um, property is another. And again, yeah. we, if you're interested in this, the ebook gives you a really nice introduction to investing because there's plenty of mistakes that you can make with investing. And those mistakes will cost you a lot of money. But mm. if you get investing right, um, I've, I've been investing now for over 10 years. And oh, wow. I, I remember about 10 years ago, somebody sat me down 
explain to me the right way to go about investing. Okay, it doesn't involve buying Bitcoin. It doesn't involve buying Tesla. It doesn't involve <laughs> trading. It doesn't involve trading stocks and shares. Okay, you're not a stockbroker. You're a doctor. You need a nice, sensible, foolproof plan that over mm. time, and I'm talking long time, 10, 20 years, is going to generate you a nice return. Uh, if mm. you get that right, um, you know, I'm 10 years down the track um, and I can already tell you that investing has, has given me tremendous freedom, you know. And I think it's a cliche that money doesn't buy you happiness. And, you know, I came from really humble beginnings. So I mm. understand what it's like to have no money. But, you know, mm. right now, I consider myself wealthy because, not because I've got tons of money, but because I've got choices, uh, you know, mm. what I do. If I want to work three days a week, I can. Uh, and a large part of that has come from good financial management and making the right investment choices, both in property and stocks and shares that you mentioned. No. Um, when we do have this discussion, and it is a big discussion that does crop up from time to time, there's a lot of people that are like, do you know what? I'm going to go to Australia for a few years. I'm going to go to the Middle East and make a shit ton of money there. I'm going to bring it all the way back and buy a big house. Does that have its caveats to it? You know, we were, some people were saying you have to pay a big sum of tax when you do come back to all of that money and, and um, earn. Uh, what is your opinion on that? So I think using, I mean, everybody's different. Okay. Everybody has their own path through life. But in general, I'm not a fan of doing something purely for financial reasons. So, you know, I could have gone and worked in the middle of the Australian outback for like 500,000 Australian dollars a year. Um, mm -hmm. And I would have been utterly miserable and I probably would have left medicine uh, and not done it. So I think, you know, it's, it's up to you really. But, you know, I would always, I, I went abroad for a bit and it, it, it kind of changed my career in a way because it opened my eyes to a a different way that medicine could be done and I never regretted it like I said at the time nobody really was going on a year out it was just like f1 f2 straight into training it was yeah. like oh Dr Perkins he's not going in straight into training he's going windsurfing in Hawaii you're like oh <laughs> Perkins. he was such a good doctor and now he's just blown it all the way ignore them <laughs> sorry <laughs> I'm saying like as soon as you mentioned f3 transition to f4 they, they just completely write you off they're like yeah we, we lost a good one I've had heard that used to be the notion back in the days. Yeah, I think, you know, I never regretted doing my F3 and F4. Um, and I learned a tremendous amount and I did a bit of medicine and I had a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, my primary motivation has always been to try to enjoy life as much as possible. And mm. I think, yeah, but everyone's different. No. Do, do you find that? So you said that you work um, three days a week, so it's not working sort of full on every single day. Do you find that it also keeps the passion alive within, within, so when you're, when you're working as a clinician, do you find that your passion is a lot higher than say the average person who's working, let's say six, seven, some of them work five days, six days, seven days a week, or, or do a clinic every single day. Um, do you find that you're a lot more happier um, you find a lot more joy in other things that you do and inside the job as well. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I can sympathize with anyone who's working six, seven, eight days a week, right? Because, you know, I paid down all that debt and that mm. was a tremendously difficult journey. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, I didn't get any leg ups for that. I just, that's all been earned money. And, you know, I was doing a normal job and then doing locums in A&E at the weekend. You know, I've been there and it's incredibly hard. Um, yeah. You know, I, I know what that's like. Um, and yeah, in the last couple of years, uh, after 12 years of making the right financial decision, I have had the ability to say, do you know what? I'm not going to work as a GP five or six days a week. I'm going to work as yeah. a GP three days a week. And I'm going to have this really crazy idea to start medics money. I'm definitely a better three day a week doctor than a six or seven or eight day a week doctor. Um, and you know, we've got a tremendously long career ahead of us now. The retirement age is, is going away from us all the time. So yeah. I've still got 30 years left and um, I want to enjoy it. So enjoying your medicine is really important. And like I said, personally for me, I'm a much better three day a week doctor than seven day a week doctor. I've got three kids, uh, so I love to hang out with them. Uh, okay. I like to windsurf and kite surf. And you know, you've got to enjoy, enjoy life. It's not all about the work. No, love it. I definitely agree. I think what you're doing with Medics Money is great. It's amazing. And it kind of breaks that taboo of kind of discussing finances, discussing income. Um, some people still feel very uncomfortable kind of you know saying how much they earn especially people that are doing loads of locum shifts as you know does supplement their income greatly how do you kind of break those taboos and kind of get more doctors talking about money financial planning um what are some of the steps they can do because some people are quite hush hush about it and don't feel comfortable discussing it when it is important that we all do yeah i think it's a, a another really excellent point because you're right doctors just don't talk about money which i always find hilarious because uh our pay scales are in the public domain so if i know that you're an f2 or uh, a ct1 <laughs> i can log on to the website and i can see exactly what you're pay being paid you know even if you're a consultant i can probably have a really good idea of what you're being paid so i always find it hilarious that doctors don't want to talk about money and i think I have no idea why that is. I think it's just kind of uh, ingrained on us. Because it's not about the money. It's about helping people. Yeah, do you think it's a dirty topic because of that? Because we, we go into medicine saying, I just want to help people and, you know, cure the world. And it's not for the money. And we don't care about money. And it's only once you're in F1, then you start looking at your pay slips and then start having expenses. You're like, secretly, and I know every doctor deep down has that feeling of, I don't feel I'm paid enough or not it might be the vast majority. Um, how do we go about changing that? Because I think it is something that should be addressed. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the problem for doctors is that, you know, we are being paid less than we used to. Okay, that is a fact. The BMA's own numbers estimate that some doctors take home pay in real terms has dropped 30% in the last 10 years. So that's a massive oh, wow. drop. Okay. Mm. Uh, and so as a profession, we need to talk about the money because, you know, I said that money can't buy you happiness, but when you're 85 grand down in debt, uh, your financial well-being is a massive component of your overall well-being. And I have no idea why there's a taboo of talking about uh, medicine, uh, money in medicine, which you mentioned, like nobody sat down at their med school exam and then they uh, at their interview and they say any questions they'll be like yeah what's the starting salary like no one says that <laughs> but but in any other job interview if you went for a job interview at a tech company or whatever it would be an entirely reasonable question to say um yeah thanks for having me at the interview what would my starting salary be and they'd be like oh i'm glad you asked because it'd be really odd if you didn't ask what we're going to pay you but in medicine <laughs> yeah. you're right that's that taboo and i don't know why 
Um, but I think, we think at Medics Money that we need to talk about it because if we talk about it, you know, we're smart people. We can educate ourselves. We can make better financial decisions. And if our pay continues to go down, uh, as it has for the last 10 years, very soon, we're going to really, really need to talk about the money because we're being paid significantly less than we were. No, I definitely agree. Um, and to be fair, and I'm sure our listeners agree, this has definitely opened up our eyes, especially with the little things you can do to help you from a financial um, point of view. Um, I don't know if this is something you can help with or our listeners, some of them do have projects and startups that they are kind of growing, building MVPs for. Do you have any advice or an experience in how they could go about getting funding? There's this whole concept coming about getting doctors to fund in med ed, med tech startups. Um, anything you, you can share with us on that? I mean, what <laughs> I don't feel at all qualified for that because, no. you know, Medics Money is basically a little project which helped, started with us helping our friends and then friends of friends and then their friends of friends. And it's just blown up from there. But what mm -hmm. I have learned from there, a few kind of things, if you are started thinking about starting something, I think if you're going to make it, I mean, it's great that you're thinking about doing it. And I think you need three things. You need a passion because if you yeah. open up a startup, right, uh, you need to be passionate about it because just being honest about it, you're not going to be earning anywhere near the same amount that you do as a doctor uh, from your startup for a long, long time. So you need a passion because if you've got passion, you don't mind putting in the long hours. You don't mind hustling to get mm. extra people, get extra traffic. You know, it's really, really difficult. So you definitely got to be passionate about it. I think you do need a plan, um, you know, a clearly thought out plan. So if you've never made a business plan before, it sounds really, really boring, almost as boring as sorting out your tax code, but it was one of the most <laughs> useful, <laughs> one of the most useful things that we did, you know. Um, you know, what is your plan? What is your, what is, you know, how is it going to work? Um, and definitely including that a SWOT analysis, which is a really management talk cliche, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Just do that and keep mm. that uh, in line. Uh, so you need a passion, uh, you need a plan. Um, and then after that, I would say, you know, if you've got a passion, you've got a plan, you've mentioned building an MVP. I mean, at Medics Money, we were super lucky because our MVP is basically our knowledge. And that was really cheap to build it took a lot of time so we did not need any extra funding and to be honest we had when we first started we pitched it a few different people and amazingly one of them or more than one of them was like yeah we'll fund it but then they started imposing all these restrictions and me and ed started mm. this because we wanted to give out the best information but also we wanted to link our colleagues to the very best advisors and if we yeah. when someone advisor applies to join our network we go through some really strict due diligence questions. One of our financial advisors has done 17 financial exams. And he said on Twitter the other day that the Midex money due diligence process and interview with me and Ed was worse than any of his exams, which to me shows because at the end of the day, we, we just want to connect our colleagues to the very best. And yeah. so, you know, um, if we'd have taken funding there, we, and we said no to advisors, whoever's providing the funding would have been like, what? No, you can't turn down that revenue. Um, and the yeah. second thing as well is that me and Ed wanted to continue working as doctors. And so, you know, when the pandemic struck, 
um, I went back to working in the NHS full time. You know, I had to. I wanted to. Uh, so we literally yeah. just cast aside. We just cast medics money to the side and left it to its own devices. And actually, it did pretty well without us doing it. Maybe is a lesson. But but if you had an investor there and you said, right, um, I'm a doctor and I'm going back to work full time in the pandemic, the investor's not going to be happy about you just abandoning mm. essentially their mm. money. So. Uh, funding has got its pros and cons. Um, I've never regretted not having an investor at Medics Money. Maybe it's meant that we've grown slower. Maybe it means our website isn't as shiny as it could be. But it's allowed us to stay true to our core values, which is to provide the best education on finances and to only uh, recommend the very best advisors to our colleagues. No, no. and I feel I think that's why it's grown so well as well because you've now you're a trusted body whereby if anyone is asking me for money advice i'm not going to be giving any advice at all All i'm just going to be doing is i'm going to be sending them to medics money because we just know that it's only going to be the very best it's not agendified it's it's purely to give us that value that knowledge so that we can make better decisions um so yeah we can definitely see your passion for for what you're doing. No, that, that's really kind of you to, to say that. And what I would say is that Medics Money has been grown by people like you saying, look, mm. uh, I'm having problems with uh, cremation form tax, right? When you do a crem form, do you pay yeah. tax on it? Someone wrote, someone wrote to us uh, and then uh, a couple of days later, Ed's written a blog on it and we put out a podcast. So we, yeah. we, we react to feedback. We're building it for you guys. And the feedback awesome. from our colleagues and people like you has helped us to grow. So um, definitely don't hesitate to either contact us on by the website. We are on Twitter, but we're not very good on social media. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, <laughs> uh, we don't check it as often as we do. But, um, you know, we've grown from suggestions from people like you who said, oh, I've got this problem. What's the solution? And then we write the solution and off you go. No, that's amazing. I think what you've done is fantastic. What can we expect to see from Medics Money in the next five to 10 years, what do you hope to achieve with it? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I sound like an investor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a big question. I think, you know, the profession, doctors, we do have some significant final you know, financial challenges ahead. We've touched on some of them today, but there's plenty more out there. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, what we'll continue to do is just to do more of what we're doing, more education. You know, we have 23,000 email subscribers at the moment. We just amazing, hit 20,000 downloads of our podcast, which is amazing. amazing. But actually, the 20,000, there's way more doctors out there. There's still doctors out there who don't know about Medics Money, who don't know that they're on the wrong tax code, who don't know about their pension. And we yeah. need to reach yeah. them. You know, we've got to reach them because I want every single doctor to have the opportunity to learn about their finances in, with good quality mm. information uh, so that they can empower themselves to make better financial decisions. So what you're gonna see from Medics Money over the next five to 10 years uh, is just more, more education. You know, we're doing these webinars, which are really popular. Um, we're also writing much more content and you're gonna see mm. something pretty special in that area fairly soon, but I'm not ready to reveal it today. Um, <laughs> it's so awesome. yeah. And um, just keep doing what we're doing. And, and like I said, we have grown purely from doctors like you telling your colleagues about us. Like we're all in this together as doctors no. and we can uh, help ourselves uh, if everybody just uh, tells everyone about Medics Money and also tells us what you need, you know? No, 
And, and that's it's so refreshing to hear that. When when speaking to you, I feel a lot more safe that there are doctors like ourselves kind of looking out for us that understand it. Um, I'm conscious you've taken the time out of your clinic. Um, but I want to say a massive pleasure and a thank you for, you know, for doing this. It really has yeah. opened up our eyes. Um, we're going to be pushing for it. Hopefully our listeners can also benefit from Medic's Money. Um, but we're going to make a financial strategy. Yeah, we're going to sit down. To do this. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, the great thing for you is that you are at the sort of start of your career. So if you start now, mm-hmm. in 10 yeah. years time, yeah. I know, I know, whatever your financial situation, whether you come from rich background, you've got no debt, or you've got loads of debt and not from a rich background, if you start now in 10 years time, yeah. you yeah. will be in a great position. And that just gives you the choices so that you can choose how you work. And for me, that has been one of the most rewarding things. I can choose to drop, I get to drop my kids off to school and pick that them up mean, two days amazing. a week. And to me, that makes me feel incredibly wealthy. That is no. awesome. And yeah, there's nothing else I can say to that. That really is something we can all aspire to be. And hopefully with your help, we can hopefully get to that stage. Um, a massive thank you. Thank you for taking time out. And thank a massive you. thank you to our listeners. Um, we will definitely share all the links to Medics Money. Um, we'll even share the social links, even though they may not get back to you, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> and... Tommy, if you're happy, how do they reach out to you or if they've got questions or they're worried about something that may be a bit more complicated, um, what's the best way to go about it? Yeah, um, so the best way to reach out to me is via our website. Um, So on there, we have a blog and on the blog is a tremendous amount of information, admittedly not particularly well organized and we are working on that. So check out the blog uh, and there is a get in touch button there that goes straight into my email. So definitely feel free to reach out to me there. And one thing I did want to say as well is, you know, I've been listening to your podcast, looking what you guys are doing. I love what you guys are doing. I love the idea of your uh, new app where you do the case discussions. I think that's great. Uh, And it's also great that you're discussing, you know, such a wide breadth of topics about being a doctor because, you know, being a doctor is an incredibly hard job. And it's great Mm. that we can talk about it openly and what you guys are doing. I love it. So don't stop. Keep going. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, It's been a pleasure. So thank you to our listeners. We will speak to Tommy and see if we can get a podcast released on money finance that we can share. Um, But yeah, we'll see you all next week and we'll definitely be in touch with Tommy.